All right. Amen. Turning your Bibles to Genesis uh, chapters 29 and 30. That's where we're going to be. If you're visiting, we are studying through the book of Genesis. Even if you're not visiting, we're studying through the book of Genesis. Uh, regardless, that's what we're doing, and we're glad you're here tonight to, to jump into this study. It's a crazy story. It's been called the birth wars. It's really weird. Uh, we, as we're going through this study, uh, there's so many passages and, and texts and moments where it's easy to get uh, confused or um, even, even frustrated maybe a little bit. But um, I think what is important for us to remember as we go through this passage tonight is that uh, this is pointing us to the sovereignty of God, the sovereign plan of God to work throughout history to bring about ultimately his plan of salvation. Um, in fact, um, I think a main point that, that fits is uh, that God's people must put away envy and strife, which lead to bitter conflicts and accept the truth that God dispenses his blessing in sovereign wisdom justice and compassion so God's working no matter what's happening and just right out of the gate that's super encouraging for us because whatever whatever's going on in your life the the sort of the peace bringing effect of the gospel is that God's working no matter no matter what's going on around you uh, right beside my house uh, there's a there's a creek it's a branch if you're not from the mountains a branch is like a little creek it's a little bitty creek so there's creeks there's this down here, not a river. Uh, that's a creek. That's McClellan Creek. Um, and then when you get smaller, you get what's called a branch. And y'all know what a branch is, a little bitty creek. All right. So um, usually branches are running out of spring heads. And so it, there's a spring on my property and it comes down by the house. And I got a spot I like to sit in a chair and read and overlook that branch. And um, it's fascinating because I watch, well, first off, uh, mechanically, I always think how impressive creation is that there's so much hydraulic pressure under the earth that there's just always water being produced up pretty high coming out of that spring. That's fascinating to me, but that's, that's something else altogether, I guess. I look at that water, and I got this really cool waterfall that cascades down past my reading chair, and I think that water is going to go, they call that shop branch, and it's going to go down and hit Worm Creek. It's the name of the creek on Hank's property. It's going to go down and hit Worm Creek. It's good. I've got the headwaters to, I've got control of the water supply to Hank's property if there's an apocalypse. So um, <laughs> negotiating power. So my, my, so Shop Branch goes down and, and it hits Worm Creek on Hank's property. And that goes down, hits the Valley River. And if you trace the Valley River, where you'll end up eventually is the Gulf of Mexico. And, and, and so I think about the tribes of Israel. What we're going to do tonight is we're going to get introduced to the tribes of Israel. To this point, we've seen the promise of God to Abraham and then through Abraham's son, Isaac, who would be the son of promise because there were the two sons. Um, there, there were the two sons. And there's this, you're going to start to see these, these things that sort of reappear like the younger of Abraham's sons is the son of promise. That's Isaac. Then Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau, and the younger son, Jacob, is who the promise continues through. And then last week we saw Jacob end up marrying two women through a deception, and it's the younger of those uh, two women, or it's the older of those two women that will give birth 
to multiple sons, but it is not, again, the oldest son that will be the son of promise. There's this sort of this pattern that, that I think is helpful in understanding that God doesn't work according to man's designs. God doesn't work according to man's designs. And all of us have been in situations in our lives where you're going, what in the world is going on? Why is this happening? Why, is it, why am I in this situation? Why, why they treat me like this at work? Why are my parents splitting up? Why did he say one thing and now he's left? Why did he promise me that, that, that if I loved him and gave myself to him, ladies, that, that he would be with me and now he's not with me? There, there, there are moments in all of our lives that we go, what is going on? What's the bigger picture? And the bigger picture is always remembering that God doesn't work according to man's designs and plans. And that's good because man's designs and plans are always 100% of the time flawed. 100% of the time. This, is, this comes out a lot of times when we say to someone, you're talking to a young person and it's like, you know, why don't, you're, waiting on the, you're waiting to find the perfect church. Uh, this is a lot of times we have young people that are off at college and they're looking for a church. You're waiting to find the perfect church, but if you, that doesn't exist, but if it did, as soon as you joined it, it would be imperfect, right? Because as soon as man gets involved, things uh, start to unravel. So God's plans are bigger than man's plans and designs. The story is very perplexing. Um, uh, and I was, I was uh, recently in a conversation with this lady about we're not, a, we're not affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention as a church, uh, Red Oak isn't, but we do have some partnerships in Southern Baptist circles. And I don't know if you heard recently, there was this big report that came out in the spring. Did y'all hear this? Where there's a lot of abuse and scandal that's gone on in the Southern Baptist Convention. We can set that aside and look at the, the monstrosity of attrition that is the United Methodist Church that's going straight down this crazy, you know, uh, path of, of like division. And so you look around at man's institutions even and you realize we're really good at messing things up. We're just really good at that. Your marriage, your work, like we're really good at messing things up. And, uh, and so I'm talking to this, this lady who's just distraught over the news of this one really prominent Southern Baptist figurehead who had, uh, who, who the accusations are that there was moral failure. And she's distraught, and she's naming like several people over the last few years that have fallen into sexual sin. And I said, I need, I gotta stop you. Like she's, she, uh, you know, you ever in a conversation where you let somebody go three or four minutes, and you're like, okay, we gotta stop, because this is getting real unhealthy at this point. And I said, I'm gonna stop you for a second. Would you pause for a minute and put your eyes on Jesus? Because He doesn't fail. His plans never have to be reworked. There's never a redeeming need in the plans and purposes of Jesus. Like your plans will sometimes have to be redeemed. In other words, what that means is we have to bring value to something that looks broken and, and, and unvaluable. Like you got to take something that's messed up. And how do we bring value out of this? this we, 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 sometimes I feel like we scrape and claw to try to find purpose. And we're like, well, one day we'll know that, that God's got a purpose in this. And that's true. But you never have to say that about the plans of God. We don't ever have to look at the gospel and go, man, I wonder if God ever thinks, ah, I could have done that a different way. Like the, the plans and purposes and decisions and actions of God are perfect in every way. So we got to keep our eyes on Jesus, and we keep our eyes on Jesus even when we're studying passages of Scripture that point to a time and explain a time that took place way before Jesus had come into the world. So we're picking up the story where uh, last week we left off with, um, with Jacob in this 
kind of weird polygamous situation where he's, he's not, okay, if y'all thought about this, he's not only married to two people, he's married to two sisters. Like, I can't even imagine the tension in the middle of this passage Literally, the, the tension comes out as they're struggling, and it's described um, what that struggle looks like. So let's jump into it in uh, chapter 29 and verse 31. When Yahweh, the Lord, saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, and Rachel was barren. So the Lord uh, looks at Leah, the one who was hated by Jacob, and he shows her kindness by giving her a baby. Um, and Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked on my affliction, for now my husband will love me. It's a really sad statement, which this is, but this is something that we see happen a lot. So what's happened is Jacob's got these two wives. The first one took part, she was part and parcel in a deception that involved sexual, that was sexual in nature. So she sexually went into him, um, and he has this, uh, he has this um, de- like he's deceived and ends up marrying her. Then he marries the second sister, whose name is Rachel. They end up in, he's end up married to these two girls. And, um, and the Lord gives the first one, Leah, um, a child. Now, the scripture says that, that Jacob literally has hatred for Leah. And some people will, I think this is interesting, and I wrestled with this in the commentaries this week. So this is not a, like a Brody commentary. Uh, there, there are guys that, that sort of talk down this line, which is there's, there's a tendency when you see the word hatred to soften it in Scripture. Well, it doesn't mean that he hates. It means in comparison to this other emotion. Look, the word hatred just means he hated her. And, and I think it's safe to say because of the seduction, the manipulation, the lying, the conniving, the manipulation, he literally has hatred towards this woman. He, he has, uh, he has a, a, an attitude towards her of contempt. And so then the Lord looks on her with kindness and gives her this child. And when the child is born, it's really sad because she sees like her circumstance and she names the kid basically what she names the kid is is it sounds like the word to see or see and the idea is maybe now my husband will see me and have affection towards me what a horrible way to live ladies listen to me for just a second single ladies particularly all the single ladies okay the whole put a ring on it thing don't even matter because here's, here's the lie that, that women at Red Oak Church have believed, and many of you, this is part of your testimony, th- this lie. If you really love me, then this is the way you'll act in this relationship. And so what that looks like is you will be, you'll have this pressure applied to you that if you will have sex with a man, that he then will not leave you, particularly in the dating relationship. If you'll have sex with me, then I'll stay with you and we'll have a relationship and it'll be a good thing. And that's a lie that's as old as history. And yet we have young girls in this church that will fall for that lie and are currently falling for that lie. That is not what love in a relationship looks like. 
The love of a man that's in a position to be in a relationship is a sacrificial love that is tied to Jesus at the cross, Ephesians 5, that is tied to all the way back to the creation of the first marriage where God broke the body of Adam and out of his flesh, blood is shed, body parts are removed, the woman is formed in a sacrificial act that foreshadows the breaking of the body of Jesus. Ladies, look at me. Never, ever, 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 if you're single right now, believe the lie that you owe him anything physically or sexually in order for him to stay in a relationship with you. And that's especially important, I think, because we have so many women in our church, young women, young ladies, who have daddy wounds, who have experienced pain that's associated with growing up feeling abandoned, and the first guy that comes along and makes those kinds of promises to you, if you're not careful, if you're not walking with Jesus, if you don't have the, the illumination of the Word of God in your life, you'll believe those lies. And what it brings about is, is pain and destruction. So you see this desperation in her life, and, and even in the way she names this kid, where she's like, maybe now he'll love me. Gave him a kid. Not only, listen to me, not only will a man not stay with you for sex, he won't stay with you for a ch if you have a kid. People, people have made that. I'm talking about hundreds of times, Little and I or the pastors and elders in this church have counseled girls saying, break this off right now. This is going to lead you down a path of destruction. And the same girls, like I could, I could just go down a list, end up in our home, two, three, four years later, broken, destitute, forlorn, and alone with a kid or two going, where do I go now in life? Because they believed a lie to begin with. Like godly relationships ha like, like look like something specific that's laid out for us in Scripture. And so I, I feel like we, we're, we're remiss to not pause here and, and put that warning in front of our ladies and say, if you're single... Trust God's plan, keep your eyes on Jesus, and don't believe the lies of a man that's not living like Jesus. Like the, the goal of a man in a godly relationship is his wife's holiness. Not what she does for him, but what she sees and experiences in her relationship with Jesus. That's the goal. That's the goal. And, and so you see this really sad thing come out in the way that Leah names her first son. But then it continues kind of down the same path. Like you see this crazy thing unfold through the names of the sons. Leah conceived and bore a son, called his name Reuben. Then verse 33, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard and I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore, his name is called Levi. So now she's like, it's kind of like uh, um, she's saying by the time the third son comes, it's like, well, I have three sons. That's kind of a special and unique thing in patriarchal history. I've been given three sons. Maybe now he'll, at this is what's sad. Maybe now he'll at least hang around. Like maybe now at least I can get his attention. And it's, again, uh, this is, there's tension where the, the Jacob seems to love the boys, but not love their mama. And so you see her go from, Maybe he'll love me. I had a kid. To, I had three kids. Maybe he'll at least hang around. The, the quote from Jim Boyce was, she's learned the high cost of her deception. She's living now with the consequences of her own action. Verse uh, 30, chapter 30, verse 1, rather. When Rachel saw, I'm sorry, 
chapter 29, verse 35. She conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called the name, his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. So she kind of turns her attention and her affection away from her husband and just says, God's blessing me. I'm going to, this is a pretty cool moment in Leah's life. She seems to start to really turn her attention towards Yahweh and say, I'm just going to worship the Lord and, and put my trust in him. A lot of single mama, a lot of single mothers and a lot of women who are married to unbelievers this is this is where they live like I'm just going to be satisfied in my relationship with the Lord I'm gonna do the best job I can in parenting my kids that's where she's at chapter 30 verse 1 when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children she envied her sister she said to Jacob give me children or I shall die Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and he said am I in the place of God who has withheld you withheld from you the fruit of the womb so it's interesting um the story's filled with emotion because at this point in the in the Bible, there hasn't been a lot of um, emotion e explained. So it, the fact that it says there's envy, there's anger, there's like she's distraught, there's frustration. This is an emotionally really charged situation. As you can imagine, after four four babies in four years, maybe is what we're thinking. My mama had four kids in like four and a half years. And like she'll always tell stories about how crazy that was. And and I like coming out of that, Rachel, you feel her desperation and she starts to actually have envy towards her sister. It's interesting. Each woman at this point, I think this is really interesting, wants what the other woman's got. Each each uh each woman wants what the other woman's got. Rachel desires children. Leah desires beauty and the affection of her husband. Both are discontented, and that's what's creating the, the turmoil and the struggle. Verse 3, then, then she said, here's my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Finally, a southern kid. All right, that's good. All right. Rachel, Rachel's uh, servant, Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. That verse 8 is kind of the key verse in these 10 verses right here in this 3 to 13. There, there it is. I've wrestled with my sister. I've prevailed. This is like crazy sibling rivalry. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, good fortune has come, so she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy, so she called his name Asher. So you've got this. This is where commentators refer to this as the birth war. So, so uh, Leah has the four boys. Rachel's frustrated, so by proxy, she has her servant girl. Jacob is such an upright dude at this point, you know? Like, like if you're, if you, this is where it's critical that we keep our eyes on Jesus. This is the patriarch, you know, who is not, he's no spring chicken, okay? And then, so then uh, Rachel's like, uh, this was a culturally, apparently it's a culturally acceptable thing. But I, here's the thing, here's my thing. That is a cop-out. When you're studying the Bible and you come across this thing where you're like, well, that was culturally acceptable. There's a lot of things culturally acceptable right now where we at that not okay. You know what I mean? Like, don't ever look at that and be like, oh, don't, don't like soften that blow. This is bad what's happening. 
Doesn't matter if it's 2022 Utah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like the one state that I think allows maybe polygamy. I don't know. I might be wrong. Doesn't matter if it's 2022. Doesn't matter if it's 2200 BC. It ain't okay what's happening here. Y'all understand this. It's like, don't dumb this down and be like, well, it was okay. No, like, God, we are created in the image of God, and this is not God's design in Genesis 1 and 2. That one girl would, by proxy, give her slave girl to her crotchety old husband, you know, that's like lost all credibility as God's dude. You know, like, this is, this, this, what's happening is the story's just getting really, really, really whack. And they're fighting over each other. So Rachel's like, here, take, take my servant. Then Leah, Leah, it says Leah stopped having kids, which most guys think it's because Jacob's like, I'm, he just kind of puts her to the side. And so you've got, I read one, uh, one guy said he thinks that, that by the end of the story, at one point, there's four wives pregnant at the same time. Can you imagine living in that house? I remember one time uh, when Little was pregnant, first time around, we're living in an old cabin, no running water. Y'all know, some of y'all know the story. We were living very primitively. And outhouse got walked to out not a port of john outhouse wooden outhouse we might have a few people that might have seen those in their life but probably not i mean dump a bag of lime in that sucker about once a month you know and i remember one night she said uh little's like ah oh, man I'm, I'm having a craving having a craving and uh what you craving i'm craving hot wings well the only place at the time you get hot wings was this place in murphy down there by the elementary school i forget what it was called back then so i called them it's like 9 43 and I said, please, set me about 10 hot wings aside. They were closing at 10. And I drove to Murphy. I flew down there, man. Got those hot wings. Flew back. I'm on a mission. Men, y'all been there? On a mission. Y'all gaining them sympathy LBs too. You know what I mean? Like, like as a dad. And I'm like eating hot wings and driving faster than I need to be driving. And I'm, I pull in and I walk through the door, rip it open. And, and she's sitting there and she goes, hey, get them out, get them out, get them out. <laughs> I don't understand. I went on this mission. <laughs> you wanted them wings a while ago, you know, like, like, can you imagine trying to keep up with four ladies cravings? You know, like I can't even, I can't even fathom it. And there, I did read, uh, I heard recently that the thing where guys will gain weight with their wives, um, that there's a name for it. Uh, hold on. I think it's, I, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Calvaldi syndrome. I got I, I can read to you about it here. Have you ever heard of Calvaldi syndrome? Most men have heard of this, haven't heard of this. And as a matter of fact, don't even realize this is a thing until it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> Pregnancy is good news not only for the mother-to-be and the father-to-be, but for their relatives. It goes through like blah, blah, blah. I wanted to uh, give you. So sympathetic pregnancy. The changes that expecting fathers experience during the nine-month gestation period is commonly called sympathetic pregnancy. It is characterized by many physiological and psychological symptoms, such as stress, anxiety, sleep disorders, weight gain, vomiting nausea and much more ladies they're giving us an excuse to act to like all the moms there have got to be like that's the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard in my life like that's just an excuse to eat more snacks you know so i just think what what was it like for jacob being in a house with the with 
Like this is a crazy scene, you know. It's very tumultuous. And it's, and it's summarized there in verse 8 when it says there's this wrestling to prevail. And then we get to verse 14. It takes a really weird turn. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went. That's the oldest kid. He'd probably been about, I'll say he's like five years old at this point. Um, found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes? <laughs> what is going on? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? I mean, apparently that girl loves some mandrakes. You know, like, like so weird. Then Rachel said to Leah, give me the mandrakes. Oh, verse uh, 15. Rachel said, um, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. She bargains. Um, which, which is, this is weird because apparently Rachel has, is like running the calendar of where Jacob sleeps. You know what I mean? It's like really weird. Um, when Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because, my, because I gave my servant to my husband. She's just confused. Um, so she called his name Issachar. So I, I, I jotted a few notes from my research. Mandrakes. Oh, so the first is not a note. Apparently, it's a question that I never answered for myself. Mandrakes are used as a bargaining, bargaining tool for sex, question mark, question mark, question mark. I apologize, just realized I didn't do the research to answer my own question. But I think it's worth noting. <laughs> What's important in these verses is um, in verse 18... She names him, the, you know, all these names have meaning. If you, like, you go do your own study, maybe in D groups this week, um, you, go, you could go talk through what these different names mean. But the bottom line is each name is like reflecting the mindset of the girl at the time. And it's just kind of this, it, 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 it intensifies and kind of shines a light on that, the struggle that's going on between them to try to prevail over each other. But Leah, in verse 18, God has given me my wages, literally, Literally, the translation would be, I got my money's worth. I, I'm like, I take this fruit, and I bargained. Like, five-year-old kid brings some fruit. It's weird. I looked, up, uh, I looked up mandrakes. I'm like, what is it? Like, and it, was, it is believed, like in the ancient world, they believed that they um, could be uh, used to treat uh, fertility issues. Um, and, but what's weird, what's really weird is there were these guys saying that mandrakes, the root of a mandrake looks like a little human. And I went and looked it up on Google Images, and it's crazy. Like the root of a mandrake literally looks like a little doll, little arms and legs. So something weird going on culturally where they thought eating this would, would, would create um, fertility, I guess. But the point is, we're seeing the intensity of the bargaining, which I think is, is important in understanding at this point, Leah's struggle and just finding like a place to fit in in this story or in this family is continuing. Verse 19, Leah conceived again. She bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with good endowment. Now my husband will honor me. 
because I've borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. At this point, it seems that Leah accepts her place in life. She, like many Christians, must struggle to find peace and contentment while living with some consequences or frustration from decisions made earlier in life. I think that's helpful. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May Yahweh add to me another son. So Rachel finally gives birth. Um, and, and we know that God will use this son, Joseph, to essentially save the family, establish Israel as an early nation. Um, but I think it's also interesting to point out that it's the sons of Leah that will become the leaders of the gospel story and the history of Israel. So with that, what are some, like, like some takeaways? What are some applications? I, I want to I look at some things that we can take away from the story, applications that will help us respond to the scripture okay so the application helped me respond to the scripture and point me to jesus to respond to the scripture and to, to to point us to jesus not in other words over against a topical approach that would just say what are some nice lessons we can learn from this what is the gospel application first when we study the scripture we always find hope at the deepest hole of realization when God works in the lives of simple and broken people. So the, the stories that seem to be the most messed up should point us to Jesus instantly because we see that God is working in the midst of brokenness. He's able to do this because he's bigger than our sin or our circumstances. We also learn that the plans and purposes of God in history will always prevail. There's a lot of struggle in this story. As a reader, it can be hard to figure out what to do with it. Like if it wasn't, think about this. If it wasn't for Laban's intervention in last week's text, that deception, that intervention, and then uh, Laban and, and Leah working to deceive Jacob, would it have just been Jacob and Rachel eventually having two boys? You know what I mean? Like would they just, would they just have had the two boys and then Joseph? Some, maybe Joseph becomes the father of you know, or the son who uh, the, the nation comes through. I don't know. There's a lot going on, and it's common to see this in Scripture, but here's what we know, that the Lord is always working, and that's what we have to hang on to. The sovereignty of God is bigger than the failures and mistakes of men and women. Also, if you live with guilt or shame or the consequences or frustrations, listen, every one of us can, can, can feel this. If you live with the guilt or the shame, or the consequences, or the frustrations associated with decisions you made in your past, you can find contentment and great joy in your present relationship with Jesus. Your present relationship with Jesus. The scripture says that he is working all things according to his purpose and for our good. I think it's important to recognize that suffering opens us up to a deeper understanding of grace. Talk to young people, a lot of young people in our church right now. Talk to a lot of young people between 18 and 25 that are getting excited about theology, that are studying theology. A lot of you young people in this church right now loving to study theology. You're digging in. And I would say this, proceed with grace because no matter what you think you know until you suffer, you don't know what you think you know. 
Suffering is the crucible for every believer. And it is easy to point a finger at somebody that disagrees with you on infant baptism versus credo baptism or speaking in tongues and cessationism or eschatology or what is the role of women in the church. It is really easy to get worked up over those things. It is really hard to suffer well. And suffering will refine your theology as much as studying will. I promise you. I get so sometimes heavy-hearted over the obsessions that people can have over the dogma of their belief systems. What we're learning is that God is a God who enters into suffering. We've all been faced with that question where somebody says, where's God in the middle of this? He's in it. He's in it to win it, and he's going to win it. He's in it to refine you. He entered into the domain of suffering so that he might conquer sin and death and hell and the grave. Like Zach shared earlier when we were preparing to take the Lord's Supper, he entered into it so that he might put to death the sin that would overtake us. Suffering is part of what every believer is going to go through, and it should open us up to greater grace. And so how do we apply that to guilt and shame? Grace overwhelms guilt. Grace overwhelms shame. And Christ brings value to even your past decisions that were horrible. Imagine the joy of Leah's motherhood. For Leah, two of her sons would play the most influential and significant role in gospel history. And this is where we land. This is where we park it for this week. Her sons, Levi and Judah... Levi would become the father of the priestly tribe who would, God would use that, that, that group, that tribe of people to establish the world, particularly the Israelite world, through the preaching of the prophets and the priesthood of the tribe of Levi to prepare a people to receive the Messiah who would then be the blessing to all people so that Peter would later write, so the writer of Hebrews would say, Jesus is the final priest who is sat down at the right hand of the Father. And Peter would write, and we're all priests because of his priesthood. You're a priest, I'm a priest if you're in Christ. This is why we don't pray through a curtain to some dude in a funny robe, funny hat who never got married. I mean, I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to just for shock factor, but you know what I'm saying? Like, we don't have earthly priests anymore because of what Jesus has done. So the tribe of Levi brings about an aspect of the person and work of Jesus And that comes through Leah. And then Judah would be the one through whom the gospel would be fulfilled. It would be through the lineage of Judah that Christ would come into the world. That Jesus would bring his message and his plan of salvation for all people. God is bigger than the circumstances and the situation. I like the way Alan Ross, again, puts this as as the main point of the text. God's people must put away envy and strife, which lead to bitter conflicts and accept the truth that God dispenses his blessing and sovereign wisdom, justice, and compassion. We must trust the Lord regardless of what difficulties our lives may hold. Romans 3, 13 and 14 say this, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Life can be confusing and sometimes the most confusing part is wondering how the Lord is working in a given situation. In this story, we get to see that Jesus is ultimately 
what's going to come out of the story. The gospel is ultimately what's going to come out of the story. God is establishing the nation of Israel through 12 tribes through whom he will raise up prophets and kings. He will, there will be movements and ultimately through the diaspora of the Old Testament, he will spread the, the people of this nation to every corner of the earth so that when Paul comes into the world as a new convert who understands Jewish history and rabbinical practice, he would, he would travel those Roman roads to these Jewish people in every corner of the world proclaiming the gospel as the one message that is the power of God to save people. God is working in a bigger way than mandrakes and birth wars. He's working to establish a people through whom in suffering and in hardship, in the darkest times in history, he will bring about a plan to listen. For those of us who are in Christ, he will bring value to your suffering. He will alleviate your shame. He will remove your brokenness. He will, give, he will give purpose and redemption to the most difficult things you've gone through, even when those things were your own choosing. God's bigger than that. God's bigger than your mistakes. That's the gospel, is that he'll save us in spite of ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, I pray tonight that you would take the, the craziness of this story and you'd help us to understand that you are our great high priest and what that looks like, that you would help us to see that the line of the tribe of Judah would be the one through whom the gospel would be fulfilled, that you're raising up in the brokenness of history, you're raising up a people who are broken within the brokenness of history and that out of that brokenness, you're gonna come into the world that, that our Messiah, our Savior will enter into the brokenness, will descend to the lowliest of people, will live not within the, the realm and confines of religious institution, but will live in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls, will take a dark and broken world and bring purpose and promise and hope, will fulfill a gospel that is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you are doing. Thank you that when we look at Jacob, when we look at Leah, when we look at Rachel, we can see ourselves. There's so much of ourselves that we can see in these people, in Laban and in the, 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 the servant girls and in the sons. Lord, there's so much that we see that we can identify with. May we have the shame and guilt of our own lives removed because of the grace and goodness of Jesus. And I pray that you would help us to live and walk in the reality of who you say we are. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving us. And I pray that tonight, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, that you'd draw them to yourself and that before they would even leave this place, they would confess the lordship of Jesus. They would call on your name and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.